had about that after our service today. So when we look at this particular story of Scripture in the book of Genesis, it kind of, maybe it's a little bit weird um, to you that we're looking at something that is so dysfunctional. I mean, do you see the dysfunction that is going on here? I mean, there's some serious dysfunction that is going on. And the reason why I chose this, um, to be completely honest with you, I wasn't even going to preach a Mother's Day message. Um, I was talking with my wife, and I was telling her, you know, I want to do the second part of the investing in the kingdom. And she kind of gave me a look, and she was like, well, you always preach a Mother's Day message. And I was like... Amen. We're going to preach a Mother's Day message. Glory to God. And so originally, and, and, I'm, and, and I'm doing a Bible, I do a men's Bible study on Thursday mornings, and we're doing a, you know, an overview of the Bible, and we had, you know, just finished looking at this. And so immediately when she said that, I thought about this scripture, and I was going to actually entitle the message, Mama Said Knock You Out. I was like, all right, let me, let, let, let me not do that. But, I mean, you, I, I had to say that because it's kind of like, you know, you got, you, you know, you have Isaac and Rebecca almost in like two separate corners here, right? And so Isaac is like, listen, son, I'm about to die. And so I want you to go and get me some food. I want you to come in here. I'm going to bless you because I don't know when I'm dying. And then Rebecca, she's overhearing the conversation. And she is like, you know, she totally flips the script. She calls in Jacob. And she's like, yo, Jacob, come over here, son. I was listening to your dad. He talk, and he was going to bless your brother, but I want you to do this. Go get some other stuff and come over here. I'm going to cook it up for you, and you go in there because he's going to bless you. And Jacob's like, yo, my, what's up? I, I could be cursed instead of blessed, right? Jacob is messed up, though. Let me just say this real quick because it's Mother's Day. Jacob was cool as soon as mom said, listen, let your curse be upon me. He's like, all right, good. It's like, as long as it's on you, not me, I'm good with that. So he was ready to run up in there, right? But the reason why I think that this is an appropriate story is because while our lives may not be as dysfunctional, I think that as parents in general and mothers specifically, I think that we find ourselves or mothers may find themselves in difficult situations with their children. Like, how do I make the right decisions in certain areas? And, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. And while I firmly believe the word of God is the blueprint and is the guideline to raise our children, there are some scenarios that we don't know exactly how to deal with. And so we seek God for wisdom. We ask God for guidance. And sometimes, and let's be real about it, sometimes we get it right and sometimes Sometimes we get it wrong. I don't know about anybody in here, but if you look at your outline, um, as we consider the significance of our mothers, we can probably all agree that mothers are truly a gift from the Lord. Can someone say amen? amen. And, and, and I know some of you didn't have the best mother in your opinion, and you wish that you had the, you know, the person's mother from up the road or something like that, you know, but you were crazy if you think that way. But nonetheless... You know, I realized something that none of us, you know, while, while no mother is perfect, understand this. Every mother is divinely selected to bring us into this earth. There's no perfect mother. There is no mother that's going to get it right every single time. There is no mom that is not going to miss the mark. There is no mom that's going to have all the answers. It is just impossible. But you know what we do have? Most, and in most scenarios, we have moms that have done their best, and we thank God for them. Amen. And, and another thing, that I, I always, whenever Mother's Day comes around, I always think about this, right? Fathers will never, and this is in your outline as well, fathers will never be able to share in the wonder of carrying a child. And for some of you that are pregnant or that have been pregnant, you're like, yeah, it's wondrous when you find out. But as you move on, it's not so wondrous. It's painful, right? At that point, you're like, the wonder is over. Husband, can you carry this for me? That's what you would like to say, right? I know women are like, can we just like switch like at six months? Right? Like at six months, we're just going to switch over. We're going to bloop. You just hold this for the next three months. You cannot sleep for the next three months. You can experience all the pain and the stretch marks and everything else that happens. I'm just saying, amen, ladies, right? You're like, petition God. I'm just kidding. But anyway, um, 
The point is, men will never be able to experience that. My wife, I remember she was driving. I, I, I don't remember because I was there, but I remember because she told me. She was driving our car, and she was sitting in a drive-thru, you know, and she was getting ready to get some food. And that was the first time that she felt Alexis move. And she got so nervous, she hit the gas instead of the brakes, and she knocked off the, like, side-view mirror of the car. It's a wondrous time, right? Amen. Glory to God. Thank God for insurance. But the point is, there, there are certain things that moms experience that dads will never experience. Right, I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and I have been so extremely blessed, um, you know, with our son Josiah. And for those of you who don't know, you know, we ad- we adopted him uh, 11 months ago, and I thank God for him, and 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 I praise him because he's he is. I mean, he's he's that's my boy, right? I mean, I I couldn't even see life without him. At three o'clock in the morning, I think like, Lord, can you just make him silent right now? But. <laughs> I can't see life without him, right? I can see sleep, but I don't see sleep without him. Glory to God. So anyway, the, you know, the thing is that, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine that he also ha- has adopted a son, and he said something. He said that his wife, and in our case, it isn't like that. I can tell you straight up, my wife is, you know, from day one, I mean, she's been connected with, with, with our son. It's been amazing. But for another woman, it took her a little bit of, a little bit of time to really connect with her son. And the gentleman, the father was telling me that, you know, he told his wife, well, I can understand why. He said, because for me, it was easy. Same delivery system. He said, you carried him for nine months and then handed him to me. I was connected. It was amazing. For you, it was different. For nine months, you carried our first child, right? And then you gave birth. So you were connecting for the whole nine months. So it was a little bit different for her. And so... Ultimately, we as husbands will never experience that level of connection, but glory to God that we have mothers that are able to experience that. Amen? And if they can experience that wonder, they can walk in that, and they can experience them caring for this baby literally, physically, and then caring for them all the way up until their adult years, and they don't ever stop caring. Has any mom in here stopped caring for their adult children? No, I doubt it. You still think about them, right? I mean, at some point, you know, you, you start going to sleep, because I know, like, my wife, like, she won't sleep if everyone's not home. Amen? I, I, and, and I'm sure that, you know, as your children get a little older, you, you start to be able to sleep. I would hope so, or else you've been living a long life with no sleep. But, you know, because they ain't coming home. They got married. They moved out. But, you know, ultimately you still care. You still have that burden, that maternal instinct, that something that's going on inside of you. And so today, as we consider this account of Rebecca, Jacob's mother, securing the blessing for Jacob, while not excusing her sin of deceit, let us look at the potential motives of her heart. And that's what I want to talk about is a mother's motivation is what I'm going to speak on today. The motives of her heart for her son. And I say potential because there's no, there's no I, can't, I can't tell you specifically like this is exactly what was motivating her. The only thing that I can do is look at the clues that I have in the scriptures. I can look at the things that we'll look at together and see what would motivate her to do the things that she did. And I want to make emphatically clear that in no way, shape, or form am I trying to condone or excuse her sin. Her sin was sin. Do you hear what I'm saying? Her sin was wrong. She lied to her husband. She was deceitful. She was part of, you know, a, a, a huge situation that just added to the dysfunction of the family. And so there was no excuse for her sin. But what I do want you to get is that while you don't excuse sin, when you see someone's motivation... Sometimes you can understand their actions a little bit better. 
And when I look at Rebecca's life and I, and I look at the things that I see in the scriptures about her, I can kind of understand why she would go to such extremes, why she would take, take such a position as, let me be cursed, why she would take such a position as, I will dishonor my husband. And again, I want to make this clear, husbands, please hear me, wives, please hear me. I am not saying that that is okay in marriage. Today, we have the gospel. Rebecca did not. Today we have the cross. Today we have the clear commands of the scriptures. Rebecca didn't have all of those things. The scriptures had not been written at the time that Rebecca was on this earth. At that time, God, the way that God spoke to people was he would reveal himself one-on-one to them in that, in, in that tangible way that we don't experience every day. When God was speaking to people up until this point, that was how the revelation came through. And not just that, and then obviously through the counsel of godly people, but there weren't scriptures that were saying, hey, Rebecca, you cannot do this. You should not do this. And so she was a woman who I believe was in a position that she wanted to make sure that her son Jacob experienced everything that God had for him. And so she was desperate in a moment and she made a bad decision and she sinned. And in the midst of that, God was glorified and God God accomplished his purpose. But I just want to make it clear that there is no justification to her sin and I am no way, shape or form am trying to do that. And throughout this message, I will continue to reiterate that point. The point is this, the end does not justify the means if the means dishonors God, but the end does make the means a little more understandable when you understand a person's motivation. Amen? Motivation, rightly directed, can position us to see the fruitfulness of God's will in our lives. That's the reason why motivation becomes so important. What is the motivation? What is the motive behind our actions? Why is it that we do what we do? What is driving us? What is compelling us? What is drawing us? What is leading us? Like, what is the motive of our heart? If, if, if our motivation is rightly directed, then what will happen is we will do what? We will be in a position to see God's blessing. We'll be in a position. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we dealt with the scriptures of us doing what? Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Remember? That meant to put things in order and that way God can will and he can work he can energize and empower our lives for us to do works that bring glory to his name and if we are doing works that are bringing glory and honor to his name then what does that mean for us that means that we are going to walk in the fruitfulness that God has for our lives and that's what I would hope that each of us desire and specifically today I believe that that is the desire for every mother in this building for their children is that their children would walk in the fullness of God's will and blessing for their lives. And so the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, Rebecca was motivated by love for her son. There are two things that I see in the scriptures here that are motivators. And the first one is love. Is love a good motivator? Love is a great motivator. When we think about love as a motivator, understand this. Love is one of the greatest driving forces known to man. Think about love for a moment. What does love do? Love can make us, make us blind to the imperfections of a person. Right? You heard the saying, love is blind, the neighbors are not. Someone made that up because it's true. Right? Because you don't, you, you, you know, when you love someone, and, and I'm not, and, and listen, I'm not talking about ignorance or stupidity. 
And sometimes it take, goes to that level too. But what I'm saying is you, 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 you don't see things. When you love someone, you don't see things the way that other people do in someone's life, right? So it blinds us to their imperfections. It moves us with compassion towards other people. It brings us to the defense of the helpless. Love is a strong motivator. And I, and I believe that there's another motivator that is, I, I'm going to say about equally strong because you look at it, you think about hate. Hate does the absolute opposite. Hate blinds us to the good in people and lets us only see what? The negative in folks. Hate moves us in a way that we are not compassionate, that we become cynical, and we don't want to help anyone. Hate takes us to where we don't care about the helpless. We just, we just care about ourselves, right? And so what happens is love is a great motivator. So look back with me to verse or chapter 25 really quickly and verse 27 to 28 so you can see where I get this from, that she loved her son. So in Genesis 25, verse 27, we'll start there. It says this, so the boys grew. This is after they are born. Obviously, and they're growing, and the scripture says this. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so what we find here is that the scriptures show us something, and it's almost as if we have this, this comparison. For whatever reason, it's there. You, you, you'll see, and we'll look at it together. You see that um, Isaac prays unto the Lord. The Bible says that Rebekah was barren. She could not have children. And so Isaac, being like the middle child, you know, Abraham, Father Abraham, then you have Isaac, then you have Jacob. And so in order for the promises that were spoken over Abraham to happen, then what would happen is that Isaac, Isaac would have to marry and have children or else what happens that blessing that promise stops with him and so Isaac goes and he seeks God he cries out to the Lord and the Lord allows his wife's womb to be open and she becomes pregnant and homie must have really been in prayer because she got pregnant with twins glory to God he was like, God, please. God's like, I'm going to give you a double portion. There's an example of a double portion right there. I'm not saying that's like a principle for everything you pray. I'm just saying, homeboy got two babies instead of one. He was like, give me, you open her womb. And God's like, here you go. You want that? You got it. And so the scriptures show us this. And so after that happens, and we're going to talk about the next part in a moment and the next point. But what happens is she goes ahead, has the children. And then as they're growing up, it points out the first thing that's pointed out is this thing is like favoritism. It's like daddy loves this one because this guy, you know, this son Esau is like a man's man, right? He's out there in the field. He's, I mean, he's what every dad wants. I'm, I'm going to say this. I have hopes for my son. I mean, his hands are almost as big as mine, right? His feet, I mean, he basically fits in my shoes already. Um, so I have hopes that he's not just going to be giant, you know, that he's not just going to be. I mean, when we take him to the doctor, he is like, he's not even at a level. There's not a level for him as far as growth. He's like above the highest growth. My son is going to be big. I mean, he's going to be looking down on me. So I have hopes for him. My hope is, and I'm going to say this, and this is not to offend. If, any, if, if there's a male, um, a male dancer in here, I don't want to offend you. That is not my point, okay? Please understand that. I don't have anything wrong with male dancers. But my option <laughs> for my son would be that he would play football and wouldn't want to be a ballerina. 
I think it was a, a ballerina would be a girl. I don't know. But anyway, that, oh, you know, that, that he wouldn't want to dance ballet. That's just my thought. I'm just saying. Like, for me as a dad, I'm like, yo, son, let's go out there and throw the football, man. Let's go tackle. Let's go break something, right? I mean, like, seriously. Like, that's me as a dad. And so how many dads, can I get a witness, please? I know it's Mother's Day, but dads, I mean, is that the kind of son? Like, when you thought about having a son, you know, my son is, like, rough. He's, like, throwing his head all over the place. And my wife is like, that's exactly what you want. And I'm like, it is. Glory to God, right? And so all of us, when we think about a son, I mean, it's not like we want like a brute beast, right? But we want a strong kid, right? And so Isaac has twins. One of his twins is like a man's man. He's the one that doesn't ever want to bathe. He's the one you got to be like, son, you got to take a shower, okay? That's, that's Esau, right? Jacob, on the other hand, he's like walking on his tippy toes in the grass. He's like, you know, he, he gets started. He's like, ah, no. You know, he's, he's like that. You know, he, he doesn't, he, I'm just saying, y'all, y'all get the picture, right? And so dad is, is stuck with a choice. Like, yo, am I, gonna, I have my Esau over here, right, my hunter, and I have my cook. That's what he's saying, right? Ain't nothing wrong with cook, emerald, amen, somebody. I'm just saying, just I, ain't nothing wrong with cooks. I don't cook, not because I don't like to. I, well, actually, because I don't like to. Um, <laughs> my son keeps turning the lights on and off. You see, he's crazy. <laughs> he's going to break the light. So ultimately, this is the picture. So dad is like, okay, I love Esau. He's amazing. And he, you know, he probably likes Jacob. I don't think that he, like, hated Jacob, but he loved Esau. He was like, yes, I have, the, this is my firstborn. He, he's like, I, I'm sure Isaac was like, yo, I'm glad you came out first, right, because I'm, I'm going to bless you. And the scripture goes on to say, but Rebecca, she loved Jacob. So what you see is from the beginning that you have this, this, this almost this favoritism, and I'm saying almost because I didn't say there's favoritism, and the reason why I believe there is is because the scripture that we read, when Isaac is old, he's like, yo, come on, I'm going to bless you. He didn't say anything to Isaac about, about, or anything to Jacob about, about blessing him. He calls his son, he calls his oldest son born in just a couple of minutes earlier. And so what happens is we see this motivation in Rebecca. The first thing is that she was motivated by love for her son. And so Rebecca loved Jacob seemingly more than she loved Esau. It would seem that way as well. Let me just flip this around real quick. Because when it says that she loved Jacob and it doesn't specify she loved Esau, she needed to love Esau some too. Hello? Because that, that favoritism creates a what? It creates a divide. Well, yo, I'm going to just run to dad. I'm just going to run to mom because she favors me, right? And so, parents, if there's one lesson that we should get from the book of Genesis, we should not show favoritism. Amen? I mean, you, these guys here, they're, they're, they're fighting. You know, Esau later on is like, I'm going to kill my brother because of this whole situation. Later on, you see favoritism in Joseph. What happens? And you would figure, right, that Jacob would have learned something, you know, from this situation. Like, let me not show favoritism. But what does he do? He waits until Joseph is born to then have a favorite to decide to give him this coat of many colors. And where does Joseph end up? He ends up in a pit. His brothers are like, yo, we're going to kill him. Let's see what happens to his dreams. Hello. Do not show favoritism to your kids. If there is favoritism in your heart, don't ever express it. Are you hearing me? Don't express that stuff. Don't, 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 don't make your kids feel like they have to prove themselves because you create things that are more dysfunctional than it's already going to be because every one of us is dysfunctional. I'm just saying. I have yet to meet the perfect functioning family yet. I mean, I'm looking for them. Amen. 
Let me know if you are because I want to sit down with you and take some notes. I'm going to go ahead and write a book based on your life. And I'm going to do, anyway, I'm going to do Home Building 101 from you, glory to God. But most of us, right, we experience some things. And all you do is add more dysfunction when you do that. And so this favoritism is there. And so seemingly she loves um, Jacob more than Esau, which motivated her unjustifiable actions. Motivated her. That was one of the motivations that she has here. Understand this, please. Our love should never be allowed to cause us to compromise our faith for our children. Did you hear what I said? Moms, our love for our children should never lead us to compromise our faith for our children. I'm speaking to moms today, but this is a, this is a general communication. You look at verse 27 in chapter 26, what does it say there? I mean, verse 13 in chapter 27, not verse 27. Verse 13, it says, But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Get them for me. Listen, God doesn't want you to be cursed for your children. Amen? He doesn't want you to, he, he doesn't want you to bear the blunt of their bad decisions. He doesn't want you to experience that. He wants you to raise them in what? In the fear and instruction of the Lord. That's what our Bibles teach us. What our love should do. See, when we really are motivated, when love is really driving us, love should lead us to do what? To guide our children in a godly and biblical way. When, 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 a mom, when, when mom really loves her kids, listen, even if she has to go and cry in the other room because she had to, you know, spank them or if you don't like spanking because she had to discipline them. And I don't know who would cry over time out. But anyway, um, you know, because she has to do that, right? But, but, but you know, you, you feel like, you know, your child is, is, is throwing a tantrum and going through all of these things. And, and, and you feel bad like you're a bad parent. You're not a bad parent. You're driving foolishness out of their heart. But a lot of us want to wait. We just figure they're going to grow out of it. That's not biblical. It's not, well, well when they're older, no, they, they understand now. I'm not saying my son, he doesn't understand. Stop turning off the light. He just thinks it's funny. You know, he's just like, you know, playing back there. But when he gets a little bit older, I mean, don't think that I don't correct my son. And let me, let me tell you like this. My son knows. Oh, yeah. Daddy, daddy, I love my boy. But I know he's strong. And I don't mean just strong physically. I know he's like, he's got a strong, like when that boy wants something, like he's going after it. And there are moments that he starts touching stuff, and Daddy has to give him a little tap in his hand. And it's a little bit bigger than that. I'll let you know. But you want to know what? He knows who he's dealing with. When he goes to do what I told him not to do, you know what he does at 10 months old? Guess what? He's looking around his back to see where Daddy is. He don't know? How do you, how do you know he don't know? Oh, he knows. Trust me. He knows what he's doing wrong. He's sitting down there. The other day, Dom was feeding him, right? He does this. You're trying to feed him. He don't want no more. Boom, he's smacking. I mean, he's smacking it quick. He's got quick hands. When daddy is sitting there, you know what he does? He's like, he's like, I want to grab it so bad. And he knows that he's not supposed to do it. Does he do it? The point is, our children know. If you love your children, if, you're, if your motivation is really love, then you want to love them in a biblical and godly way. You don't compromise your Christianity. You don't compromise biblical values so they don't cry or they don't whine or they don't complain. The bad example of Rebecca is that she decided to, in, to, to engage in this deceitful situation, which does what? It hinders Jacob. It makes Jacob continue to be a deceiver. It makes him continue to be the dysfunctional person that he is until he finally has an encounter with the Lord later on. And so the first motivation is love. The second thing is this. Repeat this after me. Say, Rebecca was motivated 
by faith in God's promise over her son. Rebecca was motivated by faith in God's promise over her son. Why does this come up? Look back to chapter 26, I mean chapter 25 again. And look, and, and, and look up to verse 22. We'll go from, we'll go from verse 21. We, we kind of talked about this. It says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when the days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy, a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And so what we see here is that from the beginning inside of her womb, there was what? There was wrestling going on. There, there, there was a struggle that was supernatural. There was something that before they came out of the womb, before, you know, they got into their teenage years, before, and you read a little bit further on, before, you know, Esau was out in the field and he was, you know, shooting a bow and he comes in famished and he's ready to die, you know, and, and his brother is in the house cooking some, you know, lentil soup and he's like, yo, man, you know, let me get some of that soup. And he's like, yo, give me your birthright. Even before that. Even before that, there was this wrestling that was going on inside of them there, 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 or inside of her womb. There was something that was taking place. And so Rebecca, you know, she's like, man, what's going on? If everything is good, if everything is all right, you know, I'm pregnant and everything is going to be okay. What, what's really happening inside of me? And so she goes, and when she goes to petition the Lord, the Lord gives her a prophetic word over her sons. And what he says is this. He says, your older son will serve the younger. So what I want you to realize is this, two things that are extremely important for us to get in this story. Again, let me reiterate, Rebecca's actions are not right. But know this, number one, there was a promise that was over his life that he would be the one if the only way that the older was going to serve the younger is if the younger got the blessing that the older one was supposed to have. That was the only way that it was going to happen. And so, first of all, she had this promise that she obviously believed and then the second thing is, when you fast forward a little bit, you find something. You find that Esau, the Bible says, despised his birthright. So, you know, Rebekah wasn't the only one being deceitful in this story. Jacob wasn't the only one being deceitful. Esau was trying to be slick too. Because Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup and was like, yo, I don't care about this birthright. I'm going to die. It's yours. And then later on when dad comes to him and says, hey, go and prepare me some food so I can bless you before I die. Did Esau come out and be a righteous man and say, dad, I can't take that blessing. I sold my blessing to my brother. He was like, oh, I got this. He's like, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to get my blessing. And so when we look at this story here, as Rebecca carried these twins in her womb, she sought the Lord God spoke to her. It seems, and I'm going to say it seems because it doesn't tell us whether or not Rebecca communicated this prophetic word to her husband. I'm going to assume that she did. That's my assumption. My assumption is, you know, and, and, and the reason why I take this as, as being correct is because when you look forward and, you know, to the book of um, 
to the Gospels and you look at the birth of Jesus, I think it's in the, in, in the book of Luke is this particular account. Well, when, it, when, when John the Baptist's Zachar, dad, Zachariah, was in the temple and the Lord, you know, shut his mouth up because he didn't believe. Well, when you remember after, his, after Elizabeth gave birth, when she gave birth, she said his name is going to be John, right? And so there was some kind of communication about these babies, you know, that God had spoken prior to. So I'm assuming they probably had a conversation. Nonetheless, what we realize is this, is that Rebecca 100% believed in this promise. She 100% believed what God said. And so she was 100% devoted to making sure that whatever God promised her son was going to come to pass. She was devoted to that. One of the things that we started when we, first, when, we, when we first started this church is that we did a little bit different is that we did not do presentations of children in the church. The reason for that is because, you know, there's a few different reasons. I won't get into every single detail, but one of the main reasons why, and I'll give you this one, is because I saw people coming up to an altar being made to lie. Because they would come forward, they weren't members of the church, they were not Christian by any means, and they were asked questions like, do you promise to raise this child in the fear and the instruction of the Lord? And the person had to either say, yes, I do, or no, I don't. Which one do you think they said? Well, you're in front of the whole church, so you're going to say, yes, I promise, I'm lying. So when I realized that, I'm like, you know what, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to make people come before the Lord and lie. That's creating what? Hypocrisy. So I'm doing a disservice. So that was one of, the, one of the main reasons. But what we did do instead of that, because we understood that some parents would want their children to, you know, be prayed for by the church, what we did is we offered them something. We said, look, what we'll do is we'll come to the house and we'll do something more intimate with you and we will pray for your child. But here's what I want you to understand as a parent, and we would say this, is that we are not coming there as the great blesser over your child's life. You, as the parent, are going to speak a word over your child's life. We, as the pastors are going to agree with that word and we are going to pray for that word to come to pass in their life. So what did that mean? That means that it was the responsibility of the parent to get a word for their child and that way they would pray prophetically over their child and it wasn't just us coming with some generic blessing for their child. See, it's important for us as parents, you know, we think about things like, you know, when you're going to name your child and all of this stuff and some of us just want a cute name for our children, but do you think about prophetic names for your children? Do you think about the prophetic purposes for your children? Do you think about your child's life, like when you're praying for your child? You know, and for some of us, our children are older. doesn't mean that it's too late. But are we praying for God's purposes in their lives? Are we praying? Are we doing everything that is within our power to make sure that they meet Jesus? Doing every, and look, I can't make Jesus come down. Hello. I can't make Jesus walk in their room. And listen, I'm going to say this, and some of y'all are not going to agree with this, but by forcing my child to come to church doesn't mean they're going to meet Jesus. Now, I'll say this, and some of y'all ain't going to like this either. I think that as long as my child lives in my house, guess where they're going? To church with me. When you pay your own bills and you're under your own house, you do what you want to do. But you live in daddy's house, guess where we're going? To his daddy's house. That's what's up. I'm just saying. And nigga, I don't even care. Put, I'll put it to you like this. I don't even care if you're my child. If you choose to live with me, before you come up in my house, know this. We're going to have a conversation. And I'm going to let you know on Sundays, guess where I'm at? In church. So where are you going to be? In church. Because you ain't going to be sitting up in my house when I'm up in church worshiping God. You came to stay with me, and I'm not going to force you to pray. When we do family devos, you don't have to participate. But I'm going to let you know when I go to church, you're going to church. And I'm going to be gracious. I'm not going to make you come at 6 a.m. with me. Amen? 
I'll let you come at 1030. The point of the matter is that for me, this is something that's important for me as a dad. And for moms, I think it's the same thing because you know what? I, like I said, you carry these babies. I know my wife carrying our daughter used to cry over our daughter. I know praying for her. I know me. I mean, sitting down, feeding my son, feeding my daughter. I remember those moments, and this is just me talking seriously, sitting down with them and having those what I call a Holy Spirit moment when I'm with my son or with my daughter, and I just feel the presence of God at that moment, and I begin to pray for them. Listen, I didn't need a pastor, a bishop, an elder, an apostle. I didn't need anyone to pray for my child because the Holy Spirit was right there releasing some kind of grace, some kind of power over my child. But listen, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with a prayer of blessing for my child. It continues on until I see my child walking in the grace of God. And that may be when they move out of my house, but I will continue to do everything that I can. And so I'm encouraging moms the same way, is don't compromise your faith, but do everything you can to see the purposes of God accomplished in your child's life. What I appreciate about Rebecca is that she heard something that was not right, and she tried to fix it. The way she fixed it was wrong. But she said, man, my son has a promise over his life, and I'm going to do what I can to position him for that. And here's the thing. There should be no greater motivation in the heart of a mother than to see her children walking in God's blessing and purpose upon their lives. And so as I close this message, the question for mothers today is, what is your deepest motivation for your children? For the moms in this place, think about that for a moment. What is your deepest motivation for your children? Some of us, our deepest motivation for our children is just that they would live in a better financial status than us. For some of us, we want to make sure that they have a better education than us. We're talking about deepest motivation. I didn't say that any of those things were bad things to desire for your kids, did I? I didn't say that, right? I'm talking about deepest motivation. I'm talking about the thing that drives us. Because for some of us as parents, we'll spend hours with our children doing homework, and we won't even spend minutes pouring into them spiritually. We will make sure that our children do all of their homework, make sure they get all everything they need to have. But how much time did you spend with them in the Word of God? How much time did you spend with them in prayer? How much time did you lead them in those things? So what is the deepest motivation? Because the reality is this, is that the deepest motivation in our heart should be born out of what? It should be born out of our love for God. The deepest motivations of our heart should be born out of our love for God. And out of that, what will happen is when my deepest motivations are born out of my love for God, then what happens is those things will be rightly directed for our children. And what we will want is God's will for their lives. We will desire God's will for their lives. We will desire God's purposes for their lives. The overarching goal of any mother must, must be much higher than Good morality, some of us just want our kids to be real moral. We don't want our sons to be dogs. We want our sons to be good men. We don't want our daughters to be, I won't use a derogatory word for them, but we want our daughters to wear a white dress for real when they walk down the altar, not just because it's the tradition. Listen, that's a good goal, but that should not be the overarching goal. 
Like, oh, my son, he made it to marriage. Oh, my daughter made it to marriage. Oh, my son made it to college. Oh, my daughter made it to... Hold on a second. There's got to be something that is greater than that. There's got to be something greater than just the motivations of the, of the things that your children and my children could have in this world. And as I close, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. I love this scripture. I think I read it every Mother's Day, and I will continue to do that because I think that it is the right directive for moms. It's the right example for moms. And, I, and, and, and again, it's one of my favorite scriptures when it deals with being a mother. Because it resonates with me because this depicts my life clearly. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. When you got to say so. He says this, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. He's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now listen to this. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. That is the motive. I wish there was a scripture that said, like, your grandfather and then your father. I haven't found that one yet. I'll keep looking. But what I see is such an amazing picture. As Paul reminds Timothy of this faith that dwells, this, this genuine faith that is there. And it wasn't imparted to him from his grandfather. It wasn't imparted to him from his father. His father was a Greek, by, you know, according to what the book of Acts teaches us. And so he wasn't a believer. So his mom and his grandmother, they were what? They were Jewish. They were believers in the Torah. They were believers in the law of God. And what they did was, and look at this, and this is the way that we prove that we are really serious about our children coming to faith and coming to the knowledge of Jesus. Look at chapter 3 in this same book, verses 14 to 15. It says this, it says, but we must continue in the things, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so what does this show us? This shows us that the reason why, why Timothy has this faith that is in him is because of what? It's because from the time that he was a child, Paul didn't meet Timothy until he was a grown man. But from the time that he was a child, his grandmother and his mother were doing what? They were pouring the word of God into, the, in, in, into Timothy's life. And so that way when Paul comes or whoever comes preaching the gospel, the Bible teaches us, we went through Galatians, and we know that the, the law of God is a tutor, a schoolmaster to lead us unto Jesus. And so Timothy knew the law. He knew the scriptures. And when, and when the revelation of the gospel comes into his life, this young man comes to faith, and he is assured of these things. Why? Because grandma and mom took time to pour into his life. And so moms, the question is, what is your greatest desire? What is the greatest motivation of your heart for your child? Is to see them walking in the fullness of God's will? Not just God's blessing. Because I think sometimes we miss that. We want, we, want, we want God's blessing. We want all of the benefits of God, but we don't want him. 
We want everything God has to offer. We want, you know, if we believe that he's going to give us a house, we want the house. If we believe he's going to give us a good marriage, we want the good marriage. If we believe he's going to give us a good job, we want the good job. But we don't want him. We must want what is, what is necessary for life. Because listen, you can live without the best job in the world. It's going to be tough. You're going to learn a lot about Jesus, amen, and patience and, you know, all that stuff. But you know what? You can live without the best job and have Jesus, and which one do you think matters more? You can live and maybe never get into that dream house, but know you have a mansion waiting for you. What's your greatest motivation, mom? Stand to your feet, please. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for our moms. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. God, I just thank you for each mother that is here, and Father, I just pray for continual blessing in their hearts, God. I pray, Jesus, that this message would have challenged them, Lord God, and not just them, but all of us, Lord, as to question what is the greatest motivation of our hearts. Is it to know you? Is it to glorify you? Or is it just to have things, Lord God? Father, I pray that Moms in this place are blessed, my God. I pray that moms in this place would walk with you. I pray that moms in this place would really live out the gospel, Lord God, for your glory and for your honor. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for your blessing, Lord, upon us, sons and daughters in this place, that all of us are, my God. May we never forget to honor our mothers, Lord God. And I pray lastly, Jesus, that for any of us in this place that have the wrong motivations, that are motivated by the things of this world rather than the kingdom that is to come. I pray that you would give us repentant hearts. I pray that you would give us hearts that are bowed to your will and to your purposes. And I pray for anyone in this place that doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would bow their hearts to you. I pray that they would recognize that they are sinners. I pray that they would recognize that their sin separates them from you. I pray that they would recognize that the consequence of sin, my God, is an eternity in hell, separated, Lord, condemned, my God. But that they would realize the grace that you offer, my God, through your sacrifice on the cross in our place. That they would recognize that they can trust you, that they can turn from their sin and run to a Savior, Lord God, who loves them and who is calling them out of darkness, my God. That they would recognize, dear Lord, that once they put their faith and their trust in you, Heavenly Father, that they are no longer known by that old way of life, but that they are new creatures in creation in you, my God. Father, I pray that you be glorified in us. I ask you all this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.